Hello and welcome everybody to a bonus episode of Mistress Bubble. My name is Francisco, of course, and with me we have the one, the only, Spider Space. How you doing, Gabe? I'm doing good. I'm, I'm actually pretty excited for this bonus episode. I, I, I feel like uh, maybe this is the first time I'm feeling like I really earned that... Uh, the one, the only, you know, or not the first time, but certainly I feel like I earned this one where, you know, the last episode we had, we were talking about creativity. We we're like, what would you play in the thing? And I was like, oh yeah, creativity. And you're going to be hearing a lot about that deck today, I think. Yeah, we can call you Spider Stradamus uh, Space. <laughs> or yeah, we're going to need to change your, your name or something. Because like, you nailed it, dude. You really, really nailed it. Like, Creativity is all over the top 32 of the Modern Showcase, which is the reason that we are having this bonus episode. We were very interested in discussing the results for from this event. And we didn't want to wait until next week when, you know, it's going to be like a whole week too late for to talk about them. So um, let's uh, dive right into it and let's, talk, uh, let's start talking about creativity. Yes, in first place, we actually do have... An interesting list of creativity. Um, it's basically teamer, but almost teamer because the green is solely for four copies of Renan Six, and I guess two copies of Boseju. So like we're splashing Boseju as well. Is is that yeah, how that works? <laughs> I uh, I mean okay like. I was like, yeah, creativity, but I, I have lots of thoughts on how creativity should be built, and most of them involve not this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, like, this list is, is it's it's okay. I don't know. Like, there's, like, an unholy heat in there. I, I feel like there's a lot of things going on where I just don't understand, like, People like this list has the sideboard Iona Shield of Amiria. I know some of the people in that community really like that card as like a thing, and I don't really understand that. And I don't really understand the like turn the earth tech. Like I, I get, you know, it's like oh I play against scam. Maybe you like put the the pitch elemental back in the deck, or you like put back an archon that they killed or something. And I guess you also can bring it in against burn because it gains lives. So it's it's like versatile. But you know, if you remember what I was saying before this event. It was mostly that I just wanted to really solidly beat Living End, right? Like, that was the thing that I wanted to do with a sideboard, which, notably, I don't really feel like this one is. But there also just wasn't a lot of Living End in this event. And I, I, I think that that probably, in part, led to the success of Creativity because that was the biggest matchup that I was like, man, you know, I would be scared of that. I, I think... Now, like as time goes on after this tournament, maybe things will be different. I think people will adjust and adapt, but I don't. We certainly weren't there then yet, and I don't think we're quite there yet now either. Yeah, I feel like we've been talking about creativity for a really long time, and uh, there's a couple of decks, in my opinion, that have been and still are kind of slept on, and creativity is one of the two, the other one being the breach deck, right? And maybe this is the wake-up call for people to finally wake up to how good creativity really is. And again, like we talked about how um, underexplored is not quite the word, but more so unsolved uh, the deck is. And we're going to be going over a bunch of different deck lists today. 
all of them look wildly different. So um, even more to to the point that we were discussing uh, last week. But um, there are a couple of things about this deck that I do like a fair amount. So first of all, because we are effectively three colors, uh, we are not splashing white, so there's no Teferi. And we're not splashing uh, black either, so there's no like thought CCs in the cyber or anything like that. So we have a very, very clean mana base, but not splashing white means not only that we don't have Teferi, but also that we don't have Prismatic Ending and we don't have uh, Leyline Binding either. So I feel like that is why this list looks very weird. It's because, you know, you are always preaching that you want to be having, say, uh, six um, removal spells on turn one to get rid of Monkey, and Holy Hit seems like it's just a concession to that. I don't even know if you're actively trying to turn on a Holy Hit. Like, it seems actually quite challenging to make happen with, with this deck, uh, considering that you only have, like, four Planeswalkers, three Archons, and, like, four Fables. Everything else is just, like... 18 instants and six sorceries. So the likelihood that you're going to be turning on and Holy Heat doesn't seem particularly high, but like it's still a shock with upside, I guess. And you'd rather have a Holy Heat than like strangle. You know what I'm saying? Which would be, I guess, the next best option, which is embarrassing. So I feel like th- that Unholy Heat is mostly a concession to that. And the Concession to not playing Teferi seems like the two mana leaks and the full playset of spell peers. So in that sense, I kind of do like the angle that this list is taking because it is respecting those aspects. Yeah, so I feel like this list reminds me a lot of the sort of Grixis builds of this deck where you're playing much more instant speed. And I say Grixis because they a lot of them don't play Renin 6, which I do think is a mistake. Like, Renin 6 is, in my opinion, is just the best card in the deck, right? Um, Renin 6 is fantastic here. So do, do think about that. But those Grixis builds get to play a lot of instant speed stuff, and you have to play cards like Mana Leak because you can't really get blue-blue in your Dwarven Mind deck very reasonably. So, you know, like, that does make some sense. Um, sometimes people are playing uh, Remand instead, which, I don't know, I'm not sure which of those is, is the right move. I, I myself would be playing Remand if I was playing either. I probably just wouldn't play either. But, you know, like, this list has maxed out. There's, there's a full four Spell Pierce as well, which I actually do like. But I feel like... The thing that those Grixis decks do, which I think is pretty cool, is they have all of these discard outlets, right? So they'll actually play Persist, and they'll play, you know, um, the the blue-black loot spell, and they'll play Prismari and Fable. And this list is basically doing that, right? Like, we, we're on three Prismari, and we're on four Fable, so we have a lot of loot capability, but we don't have the Persist. So... I mean, I can imagine getting into a situation where you actually do just loot away all your Archons, right? Or, like, maybe you only have one Archon in your deck, and then your opponent unholy heats it, and and then you're, you're, you're not in a great spot. Like, yeah, you can burn them out, and yeah, you can attack with a Dwarf or, like, Ultra Rendon 6 and these things. But obviously, that's not a position you want to be in, especially when, you know, as we talked about, this list is playing less Planeswalkers, right? So now you've kind of done a thing where you've taken away one of your main other win cons and extra planeswalkers. And then you've also taken away the alternate route in persist. So I, I don't know, like 
I like four spell pierce. I like some of the things going on in this list, but I, I mean, I don't. I I wouldn't build it this way, but like, I probably am going to say that about most of the lists we see, <laughs> and like, probably if we had the you know first place winner here, and by the way, congrats to them uh, in Uriel. Uh, they they probably would say the same thing if they saw my list or if they saw, you know, a little bit of a spoiler here, but uh, one of the other top eight creativity lists, right? Yeah. Uh, one thing that that surprises me, and to an extent it does make a little bit of sense and goes even further in justifying the inclusion of a card like Unholy Heat, is the lack of um, hard evidence. Like, this is a card that used to be a staple of the archetype, uh, for obvious reasons, like number one, it gives you the crab that uh, you know you can sacrifice. Uh, it also gives you the clue, which is a harder, uh, a permanent that's harder to interact with that you can uh, creativity away. And the O3 lines up very, very nicely versus Ragavan. The downside of the card is that it's really bad, so <laughs> it kind of has has that going against it. So it feels like people have finally settled on. Sure, I guess we're not doing this thing anymore, and instead of playing this clunky, and I guess it's not necessarily clunky because it's, you know, one mana is as efficient as it can really get, but instead of playing this bad card that is not a great deal, we can just play Fable of the Mirror Breaker, which turns out it's an absolute all-star and multi-format staple. So that change does make sense to me, and I kind of dig it. It means that the deck is going to be a little bit uh, clunkier because you're going to be a little bit more... Like, your curve is just going to be a lot higher, right? Uh, because, you know, you're cutting one drops and you're adding four, four, uh, three drops, sorry. So, obviously, your deck's going to be, like, a little bit clunkier. But it still means... Like, it's just so much better. Like <laughs> The difference in power level is just, like, so absurd that I feel like you can just kind of accept... You can accept that loss because it, it really is a win, actually. So, I don't know if I totally agree with the idea that they're in the same slot. Like, yes, they both provide bodies to do things with. But, you know, like my current version of Creativity, I actually just play both of them. Um, and it is funny you say that because that that's the card that I've always been staring at. Of like, that's the worst card in the deck. Like, I, I hate this card. This is not a good card. Um, but I actually am more into that card now than I ever was before. And especially if you're playing a list like this where you actually, like, I don't know, I'm sorry, I would way rather have uh, the the crab than, you know, Unholy Heat, right? Like, I, like Unholy Heat that's basically just shock that I can't even point at my opponent. Um, so, I mean, I don't know, like, I, I, I'm not the biggest fan of, 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 of some of those things. And like the biggest reason for me to play it again in a list like this is because you don't have that extra removal in something like um, prismatic ending or leyline binding, but also because I actually think that um, blood moon is the best way to, to fight these decks. Like I, I think it's just single-handedly the best card against creativity and Crab is a card that you can just very early, like Fable in this, you just play it, you know, play it on turn one before they can Blood Moon you, and then you actually have stuff to target. That's a good point for sure. I mean, obviously it's not particularly great with Transmorify, but like the clue token 
probably lines up super well for for creativity for sure. Uh, I guess that this deck is trying to fight Blood Moon through Manalik instead, and uh, it's playing twenty five lands and two Boseju. I'm not a fan of that aspect though. Like these decks have always felt to me like whenever I try this archetype, I always felt like the the deck is playing not enough lands. And sure, like you're you're a Ren and Six deck, but the problem is that. When you don't draw Renesix, the deck almost feels non-functional, which I'm not a which I'm not a big fan of. Like I feel like you want your Renesix deck to still be okay when you don't draw the Renesix. Um, but these decks usually play like between like twenty three and twenty four lands. The problem being that four of those are dwarven mines, which are like an ETB topped mountain <laughs> like it's really it's so bad so very often you have like a dwarven mine dwarven mine opener and you have a written six that you can't cast uh, sometimes you have you still have something like this and like you can't cast an untapped land on turn one or or you're forced into fetching stomping ground on uh, i mean you're forced to play in the Dwarven Mine on turn 1, which means that on turn 2 you need to fetch for a Stomping Ground in order to cast the Ren, which means that you don't have a blue source for turn 1 nor turn 2. So, I always felt like the mana base in this deck this decks is very weird and very, very greedy. And with this deck, sure, it's playing 25 lands, but two of those being Boseju. I guess it's better versus Blood Moon, but at the same time, yikes, like you're playing only 23 actual lands, because, like, Boseju is not really a land, right, in this deck. Yeah, I actually think it's worse than than it would be if it was just a basic, like, if you just played, like, a basic island or something. Like, obviously here it's not as necessary because you don't have the crab to play off the basic island, but, I mean, like, if your plan is just, like, hold up green mana for when they Blood Moon you, like, I, obviously their main plan here is just counter the Blood Moon, right? So, um... Yeah, that that's that's the biggest thing, but I don't know. I like I just wouldn't play those, right? Like that that that's been the big move in general is like I'm not gonna play the basics, and I feel like Beseju is worse than the basics in the main deck. So it's like even further down that rabbit hole. Um, you could I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. Like the mana is just generally awkward. You're playing six tap lands. Like you you forgot to mention the the double triome. Right. Oh, yeah. Or even the triple triumph, depending on the list. So, like, you look at this and you think, oh, yeah, like they really cleaned up the mana base, right? Because they're only playing, really, this is a blue red deck, splash green, splash black, because Archon Ren and Six, right? But then you actually realize that, oh, their mana still sucks. They're still playing six tap lands. And now they've added two cards that are just even worse than like the, the like, oh, basic planes, basic island used to be. So I, like you understand the idea behind like, oh yeah, they tried to make the deck, you know, the, the mana leaner, the colors leaner. And then you actually get into it and you're like, wait, they like that just didn't even happen. Yeah. So you're still you're still in the same spot. Like you're still in the same situation where your mana is gonna be <laughs> the the number one offender uh, in in terms of uh, preventing you from getting some wins uh, here and uh, here and there. But I mean, you can also just have you know turn you know turn one fetch, turn two fetch, and then everything is great. So obviously you can just you know do things like that, and you can mulligan more aggressively. And I imagine that's something you have to kind of learn to do. 
mulligan to functional hands. Like, it turns out, like, a five-card hand with Ren and Six is just also still amazing if it can cast it. And and I, I will say that is something that this deck does well and that they are playing 12 fetch lands. They're just playing the full 12, which if you think about it in terms of, like, color uh, requirements, right? Like, oh, I want to have 12 green sources for turn two Ren and Six. Well, if you think of Ren and Six as having an additional secret cost of, yes, it costs, you, you want at least 12 green sources and at least 12 red, if you count fetch as a color requirement for the card, they actually meet that. And when I say, you know, color requirement, it's like, yes, you can cast Ren and Six off of turn one Dwarven Mine, turn two Stomping Ground, but it, it, it's so much worse when it doesn't actually get back a land, right? Yeah, so the, that's about the main deck. Um, about the sideboard... Uh, there are a couple of interesting cards there. We already touched a little bit on Iona, Shield of Emeria, and I feel like that is one of those cards that some people just like and some people just don't, and that's kind of what it is. Like, you, you're either on the Iona boat or you're not. Um, and a lot of people uh, use Embercool, the, the Aeon Store, in this lot, which is also kind of the same thing. I imagine Iona has something to do with, uh, against... Um, burn right like which burn can be a problematic matchup for this deck but uh, let's touch a little bit on turn the earth this is a card that very quietly has started to make waves in modern some people have been trying it in amulet that's how i heard about the card because uh, uh, sure it, it i played a bunch of you know midnight height limited but it wasn't a particularly high pick there so <laughs> i actually had to you know read it again once i finally uh, once i saw it in front of me and it's an interesting car like so it's a one mana instant for one green it says choose up to three target cards in graveyards the owners of those cards shuffle them into their libraries and then you gain two life and it has flashback for one and a green the more that i read this card the more random uses that I find for it. Obviously, the, the obvious use is just Gravier Hate, right? Like, that's kind of the, the level zero use for this card, right? So, you just have access to Gravier Hate, and um, I guess it's not particularly strong Gravier Hate, but it is very flexible Gravier Hate, fairly cheap, and versus the Gravier decks, it has, like, a little bit of extra utility of you know, just gaining you some life, which it very often matters against graveyard decks, particularly stuff like uh, living in or whatnot. If you, you know, gain a couple of life and then take three of your opponent's, uh, you know, power, uh, creature, sorry, from their graveyard, like that living in is going to be a lot less powerful. And you may be able to just like untap, play an Archon and actually stabilize in that, in that uh, board. So that is a little bit, interesting there um then there's like some other random uses which is the fact that you know you can fable uh, you know or or uh, prismire command uh, an archon away and then you may run out of archons so you can shuffle them back that's cool you can gain a couple of life against burn i mean it's one it's three mana to gain four life so i don't know how great that is like that doesn't seem like a particularly uh, groundbreaking deal but i guess you have you gotta do what you gotta do um you're very excited about cutting those red and sixes already anyways um and then there's like against stuff like mill it seems low-key reasonable right because your opponent's gonna mill this for you so you don't really need to draw it which is nice 
And then it can give you potentially, unless the opponent has a fetch line, like an instant speed, a crab activation or something. Like it, it's going to be a one turn. Like it's going to buy you one turn if you from the front side and then another turn from the back side. So that's a lot when you are playing Archon of Cruelty, right? Yeah, this may be like a stylistic choice on my end of, of my not liking this kind of card. Like, I, I mean, I don't know. I like the idea of how flexible it is. Like you're, you're talking about all these matchups and it's like, oh, you can do this and you can do that and you can do this. And it's like, I just feel like it does all of them terribly, right? <laughs> like, it, it, like I am not excited to pay one mana and gain two life against burn, right? Like that, like that, that's, that's awful. Um, like it's, yes, if it's in my board, I will bring it in. But I feel like I can very easily just like, oh, hey, I found my sideboard card and I'm, just absolutely going to lose anyway um or like you know you play against living end and you're like okay cool like you griefed me and then i put back a couple of your things and then you just were like oh okay i'll keep putting stuff in the yard living in right like it like maybe it's better against them because it is three cards and like three creatures is not nothing especially if they're not prepared for it like if they don't have force of negation or they weren't aware of it with grief whatever um but i don't know i i i I feel like people look at this card and they're like oh that's like the super cool secret tech right and i i I feel like it's my opinion that this is getting too cutesy right like especially if you're playing like seven loot effects like you want graveyard hate Put Leyline of the Void in there. I used to hate that card in this deck, but I feel like now, I mean, again, that was considering Leyline Binding, which of course they're not doing here, so I don't know how applicable it is in this case. But yeah, I I, I just don't. I, I feel like you see a lot of creativity lists with this in the sideboard, and I am I am not a believer, at least not yet. You know, you did hear me yell about how I didn't like Fable, and now I'm playing Fable, so, you know, like people can uh, change their mind on things, but. Um, I'll also add, like, just because you also mentioned Iona, um, I don't really know what matchup people are wanting this for. Like, I guess if you're playing against Burn, you're like, ooh, I just name on red and you win. But I feel like if you got an Archon into play, you probably won as well of, like, you gained three life and they discarded a card and you're, you're probably... That's, like, that's better than Lightning Helix, right? Um... So I, I don't know. I like I used to play Emrakul. I'm not doing that now. Um, if I was playing this list, I might actually because you have seven loot effects and discarding Emrakul automatically turns the earth back into your deck, right? Um, but the, the reason that I would play Emrakul, everyone was like, oh, it's for mill. It's for when someone necromanches you, right? Um, those things were bonuses. That wasn't why I played it. I actually played it specifically because I liked it against Unholy Heat decks. So if you have loot effects and you're playing against Merktide, you could just trim on Archons, either go to one or zero Archons, depending on the amount of loot effects you have. Um, and then you're either very likely or 100% to hit Emrakul against them. And then they just can't, you know, the only way they can remove it is if they drew the one Odawara. Yeah. So like that, that's why I would play Emrakul. And, you know, that, that's somewhat of a nuanced answer. So like maybe there is a more nuanced answer for Iona that I'm not aware of i have seen people talk about this card and that was kind of like in the rotation back when people would play emrakul plus sarah's emissary as the creativity targets the good old days 
yeah, that <laughs> I never liked that. I, I, I was always like, Emra Cool plus, you know, it was like either I was just Emra Cool or I was, Ar- I, I, don't know, I feel like back when I put Archon in, in, in my list, people were always like, why would you do that? Just, just play Emra Cool and Sarah's Emissary. Now I'm looking around and there's Archons for days. Yeah. I don't know. That makes me, I feel like a, I'm, I'm trying to take credit for Archon here and to, to pat myself on the back, you know, which is what you're doing. Father. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, speaking of Arkham, like the other list, the one in fourth place, is completely different, but it is playing four copies of Arkham instead of the three that we saw in that one. But this one does have the hard evidence. This one does have ex- uh, two copies of Explore. This one is playing a one of Persist. So we have four Creativity, two Transmorify, one Persist. And then it does have only two Prismar Command, the four Fables. But this list is actually splashing for Teferi, which is the only white card in the main deck, so no Leyline Bindings. Yeah. I don't I don't get it. Do people not like Leyline Bindings? I thought it was all the rage. I mean, it did sound really good to me, but maybe it's just like the fact that this deck... The fact that this deck folds to um, to Blood Moon so hard and how Leyline Binding is not an answer and neither is Prismatic Ending... Uh, from this deck because you don't have access to a basic planes um maybe that turned people off i'm i'm not sure honestly i was really sold after last week's episode on, on, yeah. the, on the binding so <laughs> yeah i i don't know i think you uh i think you want binding like i i like that this person is playing main deck to fairy i i still really like that card in the main deck i know a lot of the lists aren't doing it um I don't know. I feel like the main idea people are at nowadays is like you're playing Leyline Binding regardless. And then my idea on that is like, well, if you're playing Leyline Binding, you're already playing white. Maybe you should get Teferi in there. Maybe you should get Prismatic Ending in there. You know, um, I don't know. Apparently, I'm just like the greediest person ever with this where I'm like, yeah, I'm playing a bunch of main main board white cards. And like, what, what of it? Like, let's let's do it. Yeah, you are kind of a greed monster, so. <laughs> but I'm playing but 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 this person's playing twenty four like they, they they like cut a land and added explore and I'm the greed monster. Like I yeah, I, that's, I, fair. I don't... <laughs> that's fair. Also like explore uh you know with less lands is also not a great combination, but sure. Everything will work out, don't worry about it. I mean it did. They got fourth it place. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It definitely did. Uh but yeah, and again, like all of these these lists look different. Four Lane of the Void, two play- Nature's Claim, two Mystical Dispute in the sideboard for, for this player. So um, all of these creativity lists look very interesting. And it feels like the person, like every single person went through the process of figuring out how to build the best deck list. And it looks like nothing to <laughs> compare to like the next person who also probably went through the process of figuring out the best deck list. Uh, so... It's really funny how all of these people may have such widely different opinions, but still somehow manage to, you know, get there. Like both of them top eight. There's another deck list in um, ninth place. This one playing nine leyline binding with only two fables and only three hard evidences. Even a one of Rizvani Candling. That's that's your extra answer to to monkey with a split of two lightning bolt, two and holy heat. You know, like. Everything works. <laughs> just, <laughs> just register cards at random, and apparently the creativity will carry. I mean, 
the 11th place list is back around to persist. Like the, 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 this, this deck is all over this tournament for, so just, just to, to be clear here, it is the most represented deck in, in the top 32. It put five copies of those five, four went X2 or better. So it's the only deck with multiple copies in the, in the top eight, I believe. So, I mean, like the, 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 the this deck is, is absolutely killing it. Um, apparently it doesn't matter exactly what you do so long as you do i mean everyone seems to agree here in this tournament renin six is good and then you you fetch for a dwarf and you you turn it into an archon that sounds like a pretty nice recipe to be honest (laughs) it It, it does it seems like a way that you can get there so I, I will say one of the other trends this weekend, it's not in all the lists, but it's in most of them, which is the the move towards um, Spell Pierce. And I, I, I actually really like that. I think that card is, is just in general good right now. It's just very efficient. And I, I also think specifically for this deck, you get to do a cool thing where it can not only just protect you trying to go off. So like if I have five mana, maybe I spend creativity and then I also have a spell pierce either to protect my archon on your turn or to protect the thing so that it resolves. It also helps against your bad matchups in like burn or living end. And then on top of that, if blood moon is the card that's going to get me what, what better away than, than just like, okay, you know, because you really only need a little bit of time, right? Like, if my opponent can't resolve Blood Moon, or they try to, and then I get to just untap and play, put an Archon into play, at that point it's like, well, what are you going to, you going to, you going to play Blood Moon when there's an active Archon in play? No, right? Like, I mean, if you, you could, but you're just going to die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, like, the, the window for Blood Moon is not a particularly long one, it, long one or like large one i guess i should say uh but it, so it, it makes a lot of sense like and it's really funny because the same is true for another spell pierce deck and in fact we have multiple spell pierce decks in this very in this very top eight um and the next one is none other than hammer this is will pulliam former amulet master and now a present uh, <laughs> hammer master and he's actually rocking two spell pierces in the main deck uh, with a third copy in the sideboard as, as well as two mana leaks so will also agrees on the fact that spell pierce is good and again like what you want with spell pierce is a deck that can close the window quickly and hammer is exactly that so if you can manage to protect the the creature wielding a hammer with a spell pierce you don't really need to do many times that sequence before the game is over so right well also they're playing blacksmith skill here which is serving a similar function you know I, i think this card has been one of those that's like kind of been on the edge of everyone's mind for hammer of like oh do i want that is it any good i i i know some people that like swear by this card. I will say I so often when I play against hammer, I'm like, man, I hope they don't have blacksmith skill. If they do, I've died. And then, and sure enough, they have it and you die and they don't, you win. Um, there's also a nice little niche interaction that happens with, 
you know, our very popular deck in creativity, which is blacksmith skill reads target permanent gains hexproof and indestructible, which means you can fizzle a creativity with a blacksmith skill. Is this like the Vines of Vassalwood special? It I is. Love it that. is. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that was my my favorite play. I, I, I mean, it was really, really funny when I was playing Amulet and I have lost a time or two to Vines of Vassalwood preventing me from hasting my Primeval Titan. <laughs> and then I died on the crackback to an, to an Inkmoth Nexus to kill me or something like that. So um, I know that interaction all too well. And honestly, I was not aware that you could do that same that same trick with blacksmith skill. That's hilarious. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's a double whammy here because it says hexproof and indestructible, right? So like, no, actually, that doesn't work, right? Oh, the when, indestructible works. Yeah. Right. Okay. The yeah. indestru- so the, the hexproof doesn't actually fizzle it, but what fizzles it is the indestructible. Right. So if you like, if you have welding jar, for instance, and your opponent tries to creativity their clue. Welding jar would actually fizzle creativity because it, it has to be destroyed. Okay, so it fizzles creativity, but it does not fizzle transmogrify. Because transmogrify exiles. Correct. Okay, good. Yeah, I actually was reading transmogrify there because I, I thought that's that's how that worked. You're like, wait, hexproof? Yeah, no. Um, it's the, it's the indestructible clause. Okay, like good to know. Like that that's actually very interesting. Like I hadn't really thought about that interaction. Uh, now that you point it out, it makes a lot of sense. But I, you know, it's, it's just like living end, right? Like Graph Digger's Cage not doing anything against living end is very stupid. Like, <laughs> it's logical that it should, you know? That I'm happy you brought that up because that is another card that people try to play against creativity and you shouldn't because it doesn't do anything. Yeah, that's that's yes. that's a great point. It's the, <laughs> the exact same thing where you yeah. exile cards and then the card enters from exile, not from the library. So Right. But, but hammer time... <laughs> yeah it, it's a creativity episode today man like it's fine it's fine uh but uh, yeah i mean i don't think there's too much to say about uh hammer um i feel like this deck unlike a uh, creativity is fairly stock at this point um there's two there's little things that change here and there depending on whether you want to go the blue white route or you want to go the mono white route those seem to be like the two the two options and you can mess around with like having two givers or the full playset or no givers so those feel like the the things that change but the core remains pretty much untouched like that's that's the way that hammer is built basically right yeah no it, it is I, I i do think that the blue white build is kind of been viewed as the superior build um but i would like to point out that not only did hammer get second place it is also the next most well, there's several decks that put up three copies, but Hammer Time is one of the second most represented decks after Creativity. So, you and, know, Hammer's and the highest still placing, good. right? Yes, yes, it is the highest placing, which is curious to me because if you think about it, at least from from my perspective, I always like Hammer Time if I think that there's going to be a lot of Merktide, right? I think Hammer Time preys on Merktide, so it's a great great thing if you're like oh yeah everyone and their mother is going to be playing murktide play hammer time well in this tournament <laughs> there's no murktide there's none in the top 32 zero so maybe hammer just beat them a bunch and that's what happened like what what do you make of that this is far and away the single most surprising thing to me out of this event 
that and another deck in the top eight that we're going to be sh- talking about shortly. Um, but I think that Merktide really struggles against not only Hammer Time, but also the Grief deck. Like, I don't think that the Grief deck is particularly easy for um, for Hammer Time, to, uh, for Blue, uh, Blue Red Merktide, sorry, to deal with. Also, how do you how do you line up creativity versus Merktide? Like, would you consider that to be a, a good matchup, a bad matchup? I feel like these days, with places of spell pierces everywhere, that matchup needs to be a lot better than it was, you know, like a month ago. So, I think it used to be forty five fifty five in Merktide's favor. I don't think that's the case now. Because I mean, it depends on the list, of course. As we've talked about, there's great variety here. But the more spell pierces you play, the better. And also the more leyline bindings you play, the better. Mm-hmm. If I was on the other side of the table as a Merktide player, I actually think right now is the moment that you should be playing Blood Moon in your main deck. Like, if I was going to register Merktide for a tournament, I would put two Blood Moon in the main deck. Um, and I, I think that would help you tremendously against creativity against i mean frankly like the more decks playing leyline binding the better blood moon is right mm-hmm. yeah the blood moon is like the natural uh, the natural foil to leyline binding and I, i'm i'm going through the best performing archetypes here and five cre- creativities blood moon fantastic there three hammer blood moon weird there <laughs> I feel like I feel like Blood Moon out of a mono red deck is bad, but I feel like Blood Moon out of Merktide is probably good against Hammer because you get to like interact in the early, in the early turns and land the Blood Moon. Because I feel like the big difference is if the second that you land the Blood Moon, what does the board look like versus Hammer? So like if you're landing a, a, a Blood Moon. And your opponent has like a cigar to say the ornithopter and like two lands in play. I don't know if things are gonna be too good for you after after that blood moon resolves, because your opponent just untaps and they put a hammer on, on the thopter and they kill you. But if you can manage to keep the board clear, be it via counter spells or be it uh, via removal, all of a sudden the blood moon kind of locks your opponent out. Uh, like it blanks their sagas, which is a problematic card for, uh, versus versus Merktide. And not only that, but it also, if they're playing blue-white, all of a sudden you can legit mana screw them, right? Like they don't have that uh, that actual th- that many actual basics. They have three basic planes, and they have uh, real quick count here four uh, four fetchlands, six fetchlands. Never mind. So they only have nine basic planes. And everything else uh, is not a planes, meaning that all of a sudden, pure steel paladin needing white white is a little bit of a stretch. Sure, they have they have three springly drums that help. Sure thing, um, but I mean that means that they already need to have a planes in play. Like it's sort of like a domino effect of things that need to have happened before that actually works out. So it's interesting, right? Like not all blood moons are creative equal, is what I'm trying to say here. Well, I think there's a large degree of, yeah, like you said, board control, but also, like, if I'm the Merktide player, 
I think it, I'm much more excited about Blood Moon against Hammer Time when I'm on the play as compared mm-hmm. to the draw. Mostly because, you know, they play a thing on turn one, you kill the thing, you counter their two drop, slam Blood Moon, right? Like, it's very easy to do that. Um, whereas if you're on the draw, all of a sudden it's like, okay, now I'm playing from behind. Like, you played Esper Sentinel, you know, I kill the thing, you draw a guard, turn two, you play another creature. So now Counterspell isn't part of the mix. Like, do I then kill the creature from behind? Like, you know, it, it becomes much more difficult. Um you know, maybe if you can, like, force through, specifically game one, if you're trying to force through Ragavan hits, you know, like, if you did get to connect with Ragavan, obviously that helps you kind of get through some of that where you have a little bit of extra mana to work with. But if you're connecting with Ragavan, then probably the board is pretty clear as well. So mm-hmm. it's kind of doing a similar thing. Uh, yeah, and again, like, it depends on what I was saying. Like, what does the board look like whenever you, you're, when the Bloodman resolves? And I think that's the big, big difference. Obviously, it's going to be easier that the board state looks clear when you're on the play as opposed to when you're on the draw. Uh, so I 100% agree with, with what you're saying right there. Uh, but uh, yeah, so we, we have Bloodman good against that. Then there's Trugrix's Shadow. Exact same deal there. Uh, but Bloodman is probably worse against Shadow because they have stuff like Drown the Lock and things like that so they can prevent the Bloodman from actually hitting the play. So, also they have Monkey, which fixes the mana under Blood Moon, though you have a million answers to Monkey, so I don't know how much you really care there. But, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't need to explain how good Blood Moon is against Amulet Titan. <laughs> I think that... I don't know. I actually I, Just to, to interrupt there, sorry. Um, I, I think Blood Moon is actually quite good against Grixis Shadow. Like, yes, they can counter things, they can discard things, but if you can land it, it, it like, their deck play is what? A Swamp? So, like, they need to have fetched the swamp, and if they didn't, then they just, like, can't, they can't cast a bunch of their stuff, um, and even if they did, like, chances are, you know, maybe their life total isn't that low, and maybe they just can't cast Shadow anyway, even if they have the swamp, um, and then it turns off to future top decks. Like, I, I think Blood Moon, yes, it, like, basically any card against Grixis Shadow is like, hey, this is hard to resolve, it's hard to get down because mm-hmm. that's just how their deck works. But if you do, I think Blood Moon is, is quite good against them. Like that that used to be, like basically that was Rhino's whole plan against Grixis Shadow was just like, all right, I'm going to moon you. <laughs> yeah. And it wasn't a very good plan. <laughs> <laughs> I think Blood Moon, as you're saying, is pretty good, particularly with the Rhino's deck sort of moving towards a four color situation or even a five color situation as opposed to teamer like we've seen in the past so that's also a very um, a very profitable thing for uh, for the, the bloodman player so what you're saying about playing bloodman's in in main deck of murktide as much as it pains me to say this it's probably the way to go because i don't i really don't want people playing main deck bloodman's against me don't do it <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to give up some percentage points for our listeners to <laughs> to have a better uh, grasp of, of, of the metagame here. Uh, but uh, yeah, so moving on in third place, we have a four-color Yorium normal list. The only difference is that we're playing Leyline Binding here. We have a Singleton Sagoth Triumph as our, uh, as our basic swamp or non-basic swamp, I guess. So that's that's how we're going to make Leyline Binding into into a one-mana spell. And that's probably enough, 
honestly. <laughs> so Snaggle's Triumph is like a blood, a, a breeding pool that taps for two mana to cast Leyland Binding. That's that's what it is in this deck. Uh, I like so, Ancient Tombs. Soul Lands are great. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but yeah, th- this version though is more on the controlling side of things, and we we have seen sort of this shift going on with four color uh, decks in the last couple of weeks maybe 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 it's been a month or something but uh, you know all the four color decks kind of feel like there's like a neb and flow to them and we go from okay we have to try to outgrind and we have to be as card advantage heavy as we can and that's when we have like recent reef and we have like ephemerates and all these cards come into the front uh, the forefront and uh, they become like the talk, right? So all the four color decks are playing recent reefs and and, and ephemerates and whatnot. And now it's just like, uh, wait a second, like it's not about grinding as much anymore. Like the game is over very quickly. So we need to change the approach now. So all of a sudden, Counterspell makes a comeback and Expressive Iteration becomes the four of instead of Recent Reef. Although some maniacs out there were playing four iterations and four Recent Reefs, which I think it's absolutely wild, but that's what they were doing. <laughs> so there's a lot of like going back and forth in terms of changing the way to build, or like I guess the way to build the deck against the meta is, is what we're trying to. To, to discuss here so i think it's very cool to see the constant shift and adaptation that this, that this deck sees and again it's, it's 80 cards right like you can go so many places when you're playing this many cards and we see the other list the, the list that uh, finished in seventh place is not playing binding and is playing dress downs instead only playing three traverses instead of four and it's playing like the full playset of Counterspell and Holy Heat. We're playing the full playset of Ice Fang Quaddles. And there's like some little changes here and there that are pretty interesting. So, yeah, I mean, Four Color still very much alive, but it, it is needing to adapt in order to do so. Absolutely. I, I should say, I, I did misspeak. I, I thought uh, Creativity was the only one with two top eights, uh, two copies of the same archetype in top eight, but no, Four Color also managing to, to make it. Um, I mean, I, it is kind of interesting. I feel like there are there is some overlap there, mostly in the just like, I'm playing all the colors, which means I get good cards. But th- th- this deck is doing that more so. You know, I, like, I think that Leyline binding matters less for a deck like this, right? Than it would creativity because you're already playing solitude, right? Like if I can solitude your Murktide, I don't need leyline binding as much. Also, you know, you can take different approaches. You know, like the main deck dress downs seem absolutely fantastic when everybody's trying to do creativity things, right? So you can you can prevent the the archon triggers, particularly if you're putting that multiple archons at the same turn. And then you can like solitude the remaining uh, archons, and you just kind of move on with the game, uh, pretty unscathed. So, seems interesting to me. Seems interesting to me how these decks are still there because they're just so freaking flexible. Yeah. <laughs> they can just do whatever the hell they want. So they're so they're doing it. They're just like shifting and adapting and changing things accordingly. So, I I honestly love to see that. Like I. Personally, I kind of like four color existing. I feel like it's a good deck to to have as part of the metagame. 
uh, which, you know, even though a lot of people absolutely despise the card Omnath, uh, I think it's fine. Whatever, whatever. <laughs> this is not a politics episode right here, because this is, this is, Omnath is basically talking about politics. Uh, but in eighth place, <laughs> in eighth place, we have Hawkbog98 with Gudo Amulet uh, with Scapeshift. And this is something that, uh, again, Hawkbog was the first person that I saw doing this. And at first, I was a non believer. But after seeing them do consistently well with it, I kind of was turned. <laughs> I am now a believer in the escape shift. I've talked about it in the past already in, the, in this podcast. So this list looks very interesting to me and uh, Hogpox lists always do. What we have, uh, the, the little bit of spice is two copies of Woodland Bellower in the sideboard. Main reason for this is that, you know, Bellower comes into play and then it can find your Dryad. And Hogpox list, not only is it playing two Scapeshift, but it's also playing three copies of Valakut in the main deck, as opposed to the, the usual two that we see. So um, they're a little bit more all-in, or not necessarily all-in, but they can take better advantage of having more Dryads. So in the matchups where Dryad is very important, Woodland Bellower acts as copies five and six of Dryad, which can be very, very, uh, can be very, very good. So definitely uh, an, an interesting approach that that Hogpog has there in Cyborg. And then three copies of Dranith Magistrate. And you will see this card. And for those of you that don't, don't know what it is, it's one and a white for a 1-3 human wizard. And it says your opponents can't cast spells from anywhere other than their hands. So it notably stops Cascade, which is not necessarily a great matchup for, for Amulet. And that is all the Cascade decks. Obviously, like, spell-based combo is Amulet's... What Amulet does not want to see. And spell-based combo these days means Cascade more often than not, so Dying Magistrate kind of shines there. Funnily enough, you can cast Dranith Magistrate on turn two, even when you're on the draw, thanks to Castle uh, Cavern of Souls. So we have... Three copies of Cavern in the main deck and a fourth copy in the sideboard, and then one of Crumbling Vestige, um, and those are like all the white sources that we have access to that are untapped on turn two. Uh, then we also have one Boros Garrison and two Celestia Sanctuary, so definitely cutting it close. Now we're not uh, like this is definitely way below a, a wanted amount of white sources to to be casting a, a, a two drop right that you do want to be ca- uh, casting on turn two. So you definitely need to uh, mulligan accordingly, I'd say. Uh, we're not... But, but like, you know, Amulet's mana base has always been a work of art. And by that, I mean garbage. So, it's uh, heinous. It's, <laughs> it's, it's awful. And people are very, very greedy. Uh, and like people love c- cutting on top blue, green sources, man. Like, they all do. Not in the case of Hawkwalk, but, but yeah. So overall, Amulet mana bases are pretty bad. And this is this is just no exception. But uh, Dreadnought Magistrate is good. And my experience is that spell uh, trying to interact with Cascade through spells is not a great idea. The way you want to do it is you want to interact with permanents. And the problem is that all of the Cascade decks have great answers to enchantments and artifacts that they are already very excited to play against you because you're playing a deck with Dryads and Ursa Sagas and Amulets, etc. So... Sure, we could be playing Chalice instead of Dranish Passage, but it plays right into what your opponents, what your opponent's sideboard cards are 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 doing. So, a creature is so 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 much better 
in that scenario um, that I think even though it looks weird and even though it's hard to cast, it's pretty interesting and I think it's defensible and it obviously has been working for Hawkpock for a while now. Uh, this is where you put that meme of you know the hand shaking and it's like hate bear primeval titan it's like the one time <laughs> that's good love that love that um 10th place blue white control with Layla inviting wait a minute we we have skipped your favorite part of the top eight you skipped oh, the most important you one. got me man you got me uh, uh five fifth place Eltrocitron, dude. Why? How? How? <laughs> you you really tried to get away with that one. Fran was like, "Oh yeah, like if I just if I just don't <laughs> say fifth place, like we 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 you know we we said uh, creativity, we said forkler, you said those twice. I don't have to do it in order. Like yeah, you know, fifth place. I mean, <sighs> I, I'm one to talk like this deck. I was okay, so I, close. <laughs> I like I have hated Eltrocitron forever. Like when this deck was actually good. You know, it was all over the meta, like top played deck. I also hated it. I like. I never thought that this deck was good. I don't know. Like, uh, there's a thousand memes out there. Like, a, you know, the Q aspiring spike thing. Like, matter a shaper, modern all star, right? Um, but I, 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 I don't know. This person, Leandro, congratulations to them. I don't know how they did it. I don't understand. But they are making thought not seer reality smasher get there in 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 2022. Um, they notably have a single swamp. This is a hedge against the card Beseju because you can't fetch wastes off Beseju. And then I guess the swamp also just gets to, uh, you know, play your, uh, your dismembers that are in the main and, and maybe pay black mana that way. Um, it's also worth noting that this can be a workaround if your opponent plays, um, void mirror, if that's a thing that they bring in against you. But I don't, I don't know if there's like, does any of this strike you as particularly spicy? Like, I, I like two Warping Whale in the main. Otherwise, like, I don't know. I don't understand. Like, there's, I guess, three Chalice of the Void because you want Karn to be able to grab the fourth. That's just I, bad. That's I don't have much bad. else I to I say. I feel like the first thing is I applaud Leandro because they are starting to see the light and they actually have only three matter reshaper. So they're getting <laughs> closer to the ideal zero. So this is progress, folks. This is progress right there. Uh, but no, so historically, Eldrassitron has been good or bad, sort of hinging on whether Chalice of the Void is good or not. And Chalice of the Void is good on turn one and two. Like, that's it. Like, the, the, the window in which Chalice is really, really good is turns one and two, and then it just sort of dips dramatically from there. Sure, against Cascade, you can play Chalice on turn three, four, five. Like, it's going to be good at any point in the game. But against a deck like Merktide, if you're dropping a Chalice on turn four, like, after you get it from your Karn, it's not going to be as good. <laughs> like, I can promise you that it's not going to be as good as it would have been on turn one or two. So, uh, uh, t- turn two, because you're going to be playing it on, on one, right? So It's got to be there because of Cascade, right? Like, because they can just go turn four, Karn, minus, put it right into play, I would guess. It's the only thing that would make sense to me. But at the same time, 
don't you rather just have access? Because at that point, you were hoping that you're on the play, you have turn three Tron so that you can play Carnahate on schedule, or that you're cycling, uh, you're uh, like making a token from Warping Whale so that you can play Carn uh, on turn three and then minus it and get into Chalice. That seems like just not as great as just playing four Chalices in the main deck. Well, maybe there's a world where you like. <laughs> I'm really reaching for straws here, but uh, you're on the play and your opponent has Shardless Agent, you Warping Will, counter the Cascade, untap Karn, zero. <laughs> I, I really, I really Shut reach up, for it. I, I, I'm trying to be serious here, man. <laughs> I'm trying to have a podcast here. I'm trying to... <laughs> okay, all right. I hate Eldrazi Tron. I don't understand. Amazing job, though. I don't know. Is this deck actually okay now? I feel like it isn't. Like, I don't know, like... Thoughtnots here getting you know, like now like back in the day, Thoughtnots here was sick. Like your opponent had a hard time killing it because it was just lightning bolt, right? Mm-hmm. And then Fatal Push came along, and then Solitude and Unholy Heat, and like, we have all this stuff now that it's like it's so embarrassing. I I I, I don't know. I, don't know. I like I say that okay like for the viewers that don't know, I used to play so much Eldrazi. Like I, I played this deck Thalia Stompy where I was I was trying to put chalices in play on turn one with gemstone caverns and like simians it was basically taxes with eldrazi and like cheaty mana stuff i loved that deck i played that deck so much and i have not touched an eldrazi in a long long time like they banned simian so you can't put chalice into play on turn one so i'm not i'm not even not trying to chalice and then there's like the eldrazi even with or without chalice like oh my god they they, i don't they just feel so outclassed like your opponent can pay two mana to have a 7-7 seven, seven flyer, or you could pay, you know, maybe four mana and have a 5-5 five, five hasty trampler, right? Like, I, I just, like, I don't know. I don't know. But clearly, clearly, they made fifth place. Like, this is not a joke to have made fifth place in a tournament. Like, this is a, like, very high, like, competitive, difficult tournament. So... I don't know. There's something I'm not understanding. The thing that I will say is the one of Ugin the Spirit Dragon and one of Ulumong the Ceaseless Hunger look good in a format where people are trying to do four color things. And we did see like a couple of four color decks in the in the top in the top eight. So that is the only thing I can see for it. The problem is like Omnath single-handedly outclasses this deck in such dramatic fashion that I'm not sure that's enough by itself. There's also the fact that, you know, Rainbow Sage, right? Right. <laughs> Which you can never, ever beat in a gazillion years. I don't even think, like... Like, if I'm on creativity and I run into this deck, I'm pretty happy. Like, I understand you have, you know, you have your two Warping Whales, and, like, I do think in, in both of those cases, both of those decks, Karn for Sundering Titan looks pretty dang nice. So it's not as if you have, like, zero game, but if I'm a creativity player and you pair me into Eldrazi Tron, I'm like, ooh, yeah, I'm, like, patting myself on the back, I'm like, let's go. I feel like most decks are in that <laughs> Right? Right? I, yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah. Um, this is something that I just don't understand, so I'm just not going to try to explain it. So let's go anymore. back to skipping fifth place. Fifth place, five is not a number. You know? Let's skip. Let's skip. Yeah. Um, uh, notably, the sixth, uh, the sixth deck, uh, the sixth place deck is Grixie Shadow, which sort of fell off pretty significantly, and now it's back, I guess. 
Yeah. I honestly don't really have an explanation for why it fell off and why it's back now, because there's also more lists. Uh, there's actually two Grixis Shadows in the top 32. Yeah, I... So, I think okay. this deck is just great, though. Here's, like, here's my take. When did it stop being great? <laughs> I think that this deck, you know, but prior to Leyline buying it, like meta shift stuff, I always felt like this deck was just basically better in most scenarios than Murktide. It was better against everything except the mirror. So if you played against Murktide and you're playing Grixis Shadow, you're like, oh shit, right? Like you were, you were never happy about that. The Murktide was just always so difficult to deal with. And like, you know, you look at this list and there's zero answers to Murktide in the main deck if your opponent plays it properly, which is just bigger than a 6-6, six, six, right? Um, like you can, in theory, drown in the lock a Murktide, but in practice it just never happens because them by nature playing the Murktide gets it out of drown in the lock range. Yeah. Like that, you that, you that, have that, to thoughts instead of way. That's yeah, the only way. Exactly. That, that That's that's the big thing. Um, I always felt like this deck was just better against a lot of the rest of the meta and then just worse there. So the more, it was basically like when Murktide's such a popular deck, you have a very similar matchup spread. It's like slightly better elsewhere, but then you play the mirror and you're instantly conceding it. Or not instantly, but you, you get the idea. Having said that, you know, I just talked about how Blood Moon is the move now. And it wasn't quite yet for this tournament, but I think it will be. I feel like that then, again, makes this deck worse, where that is yet another edge towards Murktide, where, oh, like now there is a reason, right? And that reason would be, yes, Murktide Regent, but also Blood Moon. I think this deck is just good, man. I don't know, I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's, it's just really good at what it does, and what it does is very, very strong. It comes out of the gate blazingly fast, it clocks you very quickly, and then it just doesn't allow you to resolve anything. And again, two spell pierces. We talked about how good a spell pierce is. We were main decking two copies in here. I don't know. Like I'm, I've always liked this deck. I've always thought that since the printing of Ledger Shredder, I think that this deck is just, has been a banger consistently, and it just fell off, and I just don't know why, because <laughs> I always. I always still lose to it, regardless of what deck I'm playing. So <laughs> I didn't get the memo that it was bad. <laughs> All right, so um, sort of to to go through the the last. Uh, uh, let's go real quickly through the rest of the top three two. We're gonna make very very quick stops in the archetypes that we that we want to talk about for a second. Uh, Blue white control in tenth place, uh, trying out leyline binding. Uh, facilitating it through Rafine's Tower, Rogin Trium. That is how we are making it work. And a single tone uh, breeding pool. Um, besides that, same strategy. You know, win through planeswalkers and main deck chalices. That that's the way that uh, people have been uh, building uh, blue white lately. Four hallowed moonlight in the sideboard, though. And this is an interesting piece of tech that I've seen pop up uh, in many, many different places. In fact, I played a deckli- an amulet decklist splashing white in the sideboard for Hallow Moonlight and for Dragon Lord Dromoka. Didn't get to actually cast it in Moonlights, but it makes sense. Like, it stops creativity. It stops living end. It's kind of nice, actually. <laughs> it's kind of nice to answer all of those cards while drawing a card in the process for only two mana. This card feels, feels like a sort of dress down um 
You know, yeah. it feels like it has a similar kind of effect where if it's good, it's completely busted. Like it just feels unfair when yeah. when it works. No, this is a very good piece of tech. I think like this card and I guess there's like a Merfolk if you're playing Merfolk does a similar effect. But also containment priest, if you're if you're wanting like yeah. a creature version. I think those effects are, are pretty dang good right now. Like it that, that that's another decent way to fight creativity. It's basically like Blood, I know people really like EE, but I, I think that something like this is actually specifically for that matchup is better. I think EE is better elsewhere. Of like, obviously, like you bring an EE against Hammer Time, right? And it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, whereas this is like exactly Living End and um, and Creativity, but um, yeah, I, I don't. It also I, stops Rhinos. It stops uh, like Saga Construct tokens. Right. There's a pretty significant amount of uses for for this card honestly yeah i like this i really like this it's it's cool to see that because that's that's a card that came out a long time ago. i in fact i remember when this came out i was mad that it wasn't containment priest <laughs> yeah that's how long ago it was yeah uh, 11th place another creativity list uh, looks different than all the other ones that we looked that we talked about of course uh, then 12th place Grixis Shadow looks exactly the same as the other one that, no <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> but, but yeah but very close this one actually respects Murktide at place a couple of Terminates in the main deck only 3 sh- Shredders um, I kind of like that I feel like Terminate is a little bit of a necessary evil these days uh, too many big creatures to uh, to kill and by big creature I mean mostly Murktide and I guess Shadow is also a thing, but, you know, killing an Omnath is not bad either. 13th place, this is Hammer. This is against Blue-White, very, very similar to the list that we talked about earlier. Blue-White Prowess in 14th place. Wow. Lava Lord, Godshot, Mutagenic Growth, and Stormwing Entity, dude. I have not seen a Stormwing Entity in so long. This is, this is like, Boomer Murktide. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. I hadn't thought about that. that. That's actually, that's pretty good. That's what it was, right? Like, like yeah. Stormwing was so hard to kill because Fatal Push was the premier removal spell. It was hard to Lightning Bolt. And then now nowadays you have you have Unholy Heat and it's easy to kill. And I, I don't I don't understand why you're doing this and not Blue Red Murktide, but clearly it worked because they made 14th place. Two Vapor Snags and one TBR as the, Ooh. As the pieces of deck. Ooh, that's... <sighs> That is excellent. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of digging that. I'm kind of digging that. 15th place, Burn, uh, hasn't changed in years, and it has not changed here. We have the Breach deck in 16th place. I think this deck, this deck needs to catch up, man. Like, this deck is just too strong to not see much more play than this. I think this deck is just consistently slept on. I think this deck has been good for a really, really long time. And people are just not respecting it enough. It's been starting to put to put up more uh, results lately. It just kills out of nowhere, out of a very very low base, and that is always very strong. Like I, I never, but you can basically never discount this deck because they just top deck another war breach with like four mana in play, and you you lost the game like straight up. It's yeah. it, it's truly it's truly crazy. So. It surprises me that it's basically like Merktide, but instead of playing Merktides, you're playing like grinding stations and other war breaches. Yeah. Which is 
better for some things and worse for other things. And I guess you're playing Saga. Let's not forget about the fact that you're also playing Saga. <laughs> That's a good card. Um, 17th place, another blue-white deck, but this one is more of the uh, Dacen doing Narset thing. So again, Leyline Binding making an appearance here. Makes a lot of sense. This uh, this deck is a lot... We talked about this deck already. A lot more tap-out control and like Narset uh, undoing, try to enable that combo. So it's playing Force of Negation, Subtlety, Solitude uh, as a way to protect their combo. Um, I think that deck is also pretty solid. And the first time that I see Temporary Lockdown as a sideboard card. So shout out yeah. to... Yeah, shout out to, to the to this Dominaria United card. I forgot that that card existed. I like I know we talked about it, and then huh? it was like I've never seen one. I I've never played around one. I there it is. Yep, eighteenth place, Kylie Brady Blast. <laughs> Same as it ever was, dude. I just don't know how you choose to play this deck. Like how you actively choose to play this deck. I just like you know what I'm gonna do this Saturday. I'm gonna play nine rounds or ten rounds of a modern tournament with Calibrated Blast. Like it really takes a special kind of human being to do that. They made 18th place. Like they they did pretty well. <laughs> yeah, but like they still had to you know play that many rounds, man. I'm talking look, about the rounds that they look, played. The rounds are short. You 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 pay three mana. And you deal someone 15. Like, how how many times, like, you're like, oh, that's so, it's egregious. It's like, it's quick. They're dead or you lose. It's it's over. <laughs> I guess that's a good point. 90th place, Glimpse. This deck is very, very good. I think this is another underrated one. Yeah, very, very underrated. And I feel like that's been the case for a long time as well. It's very funny how there's, there's these decks that sort of have been underrated for months, but somehow never pick up for whatever reason. <laughs> I, I wonder why that is. This is the one that I feel like, uh, it's a, like of the three, I, I feel that are the most underrated in, in Creativity, Breach, and Glimpse. I feel like Breach has had some attention in paper and, and stuff like that, and Creativity has just been picking up steam as well. I mean, I don't think maybe they're quite as played as maybe they should be yet, but this deck, I feel like it still hasn't picked up. It's just still, like, in the shadows lurking. Yeah, well, the problem with this deck is uh, execution and magic online. So I think that that could be something stopping people from actually playing the deck. Um, it's it's a lot of triggers, and it literally may crash your moto. <laughs> so Breach is sort of that way too, right? No, Breach is um, click-intensive. But this is not click intensive. Like this puts automatically like literally hundreds of triggers on the stack and Moto doesn't like that. Like Breach is just like you click here and you click here and you click here. This is just, you need to put these triggers on the stack because they don't stack automatically. And then you have to like resolve them. And like Moto doesn't like that. Like your computer may literally crash because of it. So <laughs> as you're winning and you know, it takes... 20 seconds for Moto to process the fact that you're clicking. Like, you need, you need a really fast computer for that one. <laughs> yeah. All right. Like, your computer specs actually can affect your, your deck selection. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, it's like playing an FPS or something, right? Like, I'm, I'm first around the corner to put those Fury triggers on the stack. 
That's funny. Um, 20th place, Black Red Scam. Uh, speaking of decks that are picking up steam, this is this is the new hotness right now. Unfortunately, this deck is very good. Uh, we talked about it last week, so we're not going to talk about it here. But yeah, 20th place. 21st place, our lone limited player in the top 32. Fairly stocked list. 22nd place, another another Black Red Scam. Uh, with more Blood Moons in the main deck. Which makes sense, as we just talked about. So, so strong that is. Uh, getting, getting a little bit ahead of the curve there. Um, 23rd place, some more for color control. This one with ephemerates and trying to do that thing. One eternal witness, yet no recent reef. So that's the, the only kind of caveat there. Another bridge deck in 24th place. Uh, looks very similar to the other one. I think that most people are either copying Ross Merriam's list or TV Pills list. Like yeah. those are the two main proponents of the deck that I've that I've seen on Twitter and stuff. Indeed. Um on twenty-fifth place we have uh Leyland Binding Rhinos, but only sixty cards, no Yorion here, only twenty-three lands. Ugh. <laughs> oh man. Exclamation point Fran. Yes. Dude, like you should be closer to 25 lands in Rhino's decks than 24. And this deck has like infinite ETB tapped lands too. Like we're playing Indata Trium and Sanders Lounge. Ugh. That's a weird thing, that, right? Like I hate that. I feel like people... It's like, okay, to add Leyline Binding to your deck, you had to make the mana worse. And then in making the mana worse, it was like, I'm going to cut lands. Like, I, I don't I don't get that. Me neither. And let me tell you all things that I don't get. Two Kasali Ambushers in the sideboard. What? Why? Because sometimes you want a free two, three reach, dude. For for what? <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. I'm just I'm just talking about what I see here. I don't know why. Like it makes no sense to me. But I mean, it blocks monkey. That's what I was gonna say. It's like okay, I got like a triome. It's like green white triome, and they dashed a monkey, and then bim bam boom, in Dotha triome cheated out. Kazali Ambusher, and then they bolted anyway. And <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the funny part. <laughs> it just dies to bolt, dude. Oh, that's awesome. Anyway, dude, Remf has been playing Spirits for, I feel like, years, and they Forever. play nothing else, and made it to 26th place somehow. This is sick. Like I, this is the first eighth. I mean, it's probably the only aether vial deck, right? Like let, let's be real. It's yeah. it's it's the aether vial deck here, and it makes me happy to see it. I I don't I don't have strong opinions. I don't know. Like if you're gonna play spirits, probably Remf is the person to go to. Yep. Thirty five creatures, four vials, twenty one lands. Rock and roll. That's it. That's it. Twenty uh, seventh place. Obosh, Red, four Blood Moons in the main deck, four Fables, four Magus of the Moon. Oh, you were yeah. talking about Blood Moon, huh? Oh yeah, this deck they 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 went all the way. They 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 like they got eight Blood Moons and eight of the the like Spyro creatures. Spyro so four Spyro four Fable. This is like whew. like I I hate this, but I also love this. I don't I don't I'm very conflicted looking at it. Four main deck relics, four Chalice of the Void in the sideboard. Boom. Fran, am I 
am I actually a mono red player? Is that is that my future? Because I'm looking at this like the more you're talking, I'm like, ooh, ooh, yeah. <laughs> Dude, you were a mono white player. Mono white has forever been unplayable, and now you can finally see the light and play mono red, which is also unplayable. <laughs> <laughs> Shh, let's not talk about that part. Uh, 28th place, 80 card, your rhinos. There we go. Uh, the, the difference is mostly that the Urinos decks are playing Yorion, they're playing a more realistic amount of uh, lands, and they're playing Omnath and Solitude, uh, because those are good cards that you get to add to your deck, which is very nice, actually. <laughs> very, very nice. Um, one thing that I wanted to point out real quickly is that the 60-card the lists are playing a Sign of Draco. Yeah. Which I think it's kind of interesting. Like, that's been the new thing. The other day I lost against a, a Rhinos player that went turn two Sino Draco, turn three Rhinos, and I was just like, oh, that's a lot of 4 force. I kind of <laughs> like that, actually. Like, <laughs> yeah. It, it's a way to not just die to, like, Chalice on Zero or Teferi. Like, yeah, Teferi can bounce the, 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 the Draco, but, you know, it's not like it's just dead. So I think that's kind of reasonable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 29th place, Bob49 of Belcher Popularity and Belcher Mastery rocking Amulet Titan. Because Bob apparently it's like that. Now Bob actually has been in the in the ML Discord for a while, and I don't like this deck list. Because <laughs> it's only playing two Cavern of Souls, and it's playing two Cultivator Colossus, and it's playing four Crazes in the sideboard. Yeah, I don't like the deck list. I thought you were all about that, like, like a month ago. So, I was never about the Colossus, or, like, never about two Colossus. So, not there. Um, I think you want four Caverns, not two. I think Castle Garenberg is the card that you want to be cutting, more often than not. And uh, I feel like the Crisis plan is basically against a Blue-Red specifically, and nothing else. So, I don't think that makes sense. Like, if you think that you have enough... Like, if you want to be playing four Crisis because you want to respect blue-red, why are you only playing two Cavern Souls? That, that's the part that doesn't make sense. Like, sometimes I'm like... Well, because you you get Blood Mooned and then, and then you fetch your island with Sakura Tribe Elder and you draw your forest and, and, and then you just play a big Hydride Crisis and, and they can't ever possibly be that right that's that's what's happened because you paid how much mana is it to get it bigger than unholy heat <laughs> seven <laughs> that's it only seven dude yeah no dude it's it's it's, it's, it's nine, seven yeah, yeah so yeah, it's nine, nine mana yeah. and you can't use uh, an amulet so yeah just nine mana easy easy game <laughs> crusher bot in 30th place mono white hammer because crusher bot does as crusher bot does with the main deck Sword of Fire and Ice and the Nettle Cyst and the three stage shapers gift and play mono white. Um, I'm not digging the lack of uh, gifts. I okay. I respect Crusher Bot immensely. I hate their lists. Like I like every single hammer list that Crusher Bot puts out, I'm like, nope. Like it doesn't like it could be legacy, it could be modern, like it, it just I don't know. I, I inherently am like disagree which is fine it's, it's fine yeah it's perfectly fine perfectly fine I, what i do like about their lists is that they're always playing 22 lands and i feel like that is the responsible amount of lands to be playing in, in hammer 
That's true. But what is not responsible is sideboard mana tithe. Yeah, let's not talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> For Hollow Moonlight, though, that's nice. We talked about that card. That's but, nice. But just just containment priest, you put a hammer on it. Like, come on. <laughs> well, but Hollow Moonlight draws a card, dude. Like, it draws you towards your hammer. You don't get it. I get it. I got your crusher bot. I know. What you, I see what you're doing. I guess it is. It is living and hate, which is a hard matchup. So yeah. Yeah. 31st place, another creativity list. So many creativities, man. It's honestly kind of great. This one's different still. <laughs> this one, of course, very different to all the other ones we saw. Two tear asunder in the sideboard. Oh, oh yeah. That was a I know, card. right? <laughs> is this greater? Is this hot? Or is this terrible? I mean, I wouldn't play it. But, you know. Is it better than Nature's Claim? Because that's what most people are playing. Well, I wouldn't play either. Wear Tear? Yeah. Yeah, I'd okay. play Wear Tear, maybe. So, what would you play then? Like, you'd have to answer Blood Moon somehow, right? Probably Wear Tear's the best one. It's gotta be the best one. Like, Wear Tear's better against Hammer as well. I don't Like, I was honestly... I was looking at... I was talking about Celestial Purge this last weekend, where I was like, huh, like play against black red skin like it gets the monkey it gets the grief it gets all the things like the the one card it misses is of course if you play against murktide you can't get murktide so that kind of yeah. sucks so let's still purchase always being like a premium amulet cyborg card really like absolutely premium amulet cyborg card yes because your opponent has magus get it they have blood moon get it but you have they have have Liana, mana. get it <laughs> well amulet has splashed white in the past Huh. So if you you just float the mana and then you, you got sure it. sure sure sure, but yeah, amulet has always um, it's always been a, prim- a premium cyber card and also the same thing is true for my Nihilan style decks and it's even better there because I do have a basic planes so <laughs> even yeah, better. I mean like these decks creativity nowadays isn't playing any basic, but if you were or outside of mountain, um, but if you were playing a basic, you're more likely to play the planes than the forest so like what is there a matchup where you're like i'm bringing in terra sunder and i'm hoping that i get to kick it like i i guess like if you played against like murktide or black red scam like it's kind of reasonable because you just you know you kick it kill a threat otherwise you're floating to kill a moon it's like not terrible yeah that's that's what i'm thinking i feel like you're not hoping to kick it you can kick it if you have to yeah but i think you're hoping to cast it for like the front side yeah. Also, if your opponent plays a Heliod or a, or a Clothis, get oh, that man. shit out of here. Yeah, I, can't, I can't ever beat a Heliod. Yeah, man. If your opponent is somehow stuck two years ago, you get, them bring them, you get to bring them back to reality. The current lists technically can't beat Infinite Life. Like, my, li- my old list had Jace. Don't have Jace anymore. You know, they just, what are you going to do? The Heliod combo, you're done. Exactly. You heard it here first. Bring back Heliod. It's it's time. It's time. <laughs> 32nd place, another uh, scum list uh, that looks nothing like the other ones because all of these numbers are chosen at random. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> that's the top 32. <laughs> Fairly diverse, actually, uh, top 8, right? Yeah. The, the, big, the big surprise being the lack of Merktide, right? I... Okay... That and the fact that in the standings, so this is, I assume this is pre-top eight, um, the 
Etron actually has the best win rate, the best standings. And I, I just, I don't. Okay. Well, but, but that's just like a matter of like they all one through six all have twenty four points, so it's just a matter of like tiebreakers. Yeah, play draw tiebreakers. Yeah, exactly. So like, I, I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think it's more of a matter of there were four creativities are at X two or better. Yeah, which is wild. The deck's good, man. I've been saying forever. I've been like, creativity's good. Play it, and now people are playing it. I wonder if this is finally the, the time. <laughs> is it finally the time for people to be like, okay, I guess this is this is it. Like this is when we start respecting the deck. I it kind of makes me happy. I don't like. I feel like very very recently people are like Murktide's the best deck in modern, and then there's zero copies, and there's five copies of Creativity. It's like yeah, get out of here, Murktide. Mm-hmm. I think that nobody could have really seen this coming. Like again, like I, I would have seen. We, we kind of saw this coming in terms of the creativity side of things, but I still thought that Murktide was going to be like the most represented deck, and I was expecting at least two or between two and four copies in the top thirty-two. Yeah, I would have thought one would be in the top eight. So seeing zero straight up is very, very uh, weird. Particularly because if one deck was going to disappear from the top 32, I would imagine it would have been uh, for color instead yeah. of Murktide. Right, and like for color's if, if back here. Yeah, it, it's, it, it, would mean, it, it would make sense to me that if one of the top decks would have had a bad weekend because of the whole scam thing and because of the whole um, like people trying to play more, um, more combo decks with like living in their like, creativity... Like, I would imagine that the deck to fall off versus all of those decks would be for color, not Murktide. Yet, here we are. I don't, I don't have an answer. <laughs> okay. Well, we have, though. It's an end for the episode. So, <laughs> do we have any final thoughts about, uh, about the format right now? Yeah, play Blood Moon. I, uh, before we, we started the podcast i made fran watch me play a match of ponza so yeah i i'm i'm trying to play some blood moons i'm still trying to recover from that still trying to recover from that uh, hopefully i'll be fine by next week but in the meantime where can people find you spider uh yeah you could find me on twitch at spider space and on twitter spider space mtg i've uh, i've kind of been i realized I haven't been playing that much, which means I haven't been streaming that much. So hopefully in the near future, those things will change. Good for you, man. Good for you. Uh, for me, though, uh, I'm, I think this time for real, I'm going to be back from the unwanted hiatus that I that I sort of went into. Been producing uh, videos for YouTube, you could, which you can find at youtube.com slash F-P-A-W-L-U-S-Z-M-T-G. That is F-P-A-W-L-U-S-Z-M-T-G. But I have not been streaming that much, uh, so hopefully that's going to start changing this week. And I'm going to get a little bit more of a regular schedule. Hopefully by next week's episode, I'm going to have that schedule uh, down and we can, we can start actually... I can start actually sharing that with you. But until then, you just have a, a pretty lackluster promise. 
that I'll see you at twitch.tv slash ffabluche. And you can still find my Patreon and uh, Twitter at fpublushmtg. This has been bonus episode number two of uh, Mishra's Bubble. Thank you so much for listening if you made it all the way up to here. We love you forever, and we will see you next week. <laughs>